You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Welcome into the Late Night Gamecock Show. My name is Matthew Anderson, Matt Anderson for short, and I'm your host for all things Gamecock After Dark. Um, quick note, um, we originally scheduled to have this podcast be live on YouTube, but there were some scheduling conflicts, some things just out of our hands, and we weren't able to make that happen. So look for this to come live on YouTube next week. And as a reminder, you will still be able to get this show everywhere you listen to podcasts currently. So you're not going to miss out if you can't watch on YouTube, but would love to have you there. Um, would love to have some conversation and some Gamecock fans getting after it after dark. Um, I'm recording this episode on Monday, September 11th, 2023. And I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge everything that happened on September 11th. Um, obviously it's a, one of the most terrible days in American history and so many people were lost and so much bravery was, was put forth that day. And, you know, we we're so thankful for our first responders, our firefighters, police officers, you know, everybody that, you know, still risks their life every day for us. So I didn't want to let this opportunity go by without saying thank you to them. Um, on another note, the Gamecocks are one and one right now. Um, Gamecocks did get a victory against Furman uh, by a score of 47 to 20 on Saturday night. Um, a lot of fun in Williams Bryce Stadium. And we'll get right into it. Um, just what a night at Williams Bryce Stadium! I knew that the home owner, the home opener, would have fans excited to get back into Williams Bryce after you know three straight road neutral site games between um, the game at Clemson last year where the Gamecocks won the Notre Dame bowl game and then um, neutral site game in Charlotte against North Carolina. But I just didn't know what to expect for the Gamecocks season opener at home against Furman, you know, just considering what what the letdown really felt like in Charlotte um, the Saturday prior. But I can tell you the Gamecock fans proved why they, we, all of us, all of you are some of, if not the best fans in the country, top five, top three. Um, because the Gamecock fans packed out Williams-Brice Stadium. They provided a ton of energy throughout the game. I got to Williams Bryce around 2 p.m. We had to uh, sit in the car for about 30 minutes waiting for the Armory parking lot to open up. Um, but wow, like even at 2 p.m., just to see how many fans were out there, what it was like on Assembly, George Rogers Boulevard, you know, just the amount of people that were so excited for the game and ready to go in. You know, I spent I spent Saturday, you know, doing what I normally do. I have a good friend who has a townhome at the cockab- behind the cockabooses um, in some of those townhomes. And so from 2.30 until about 7 o'clock, we were tailgating, having a good time, listening to music, watching some college football games throughout the day. Um, big shout out to my buddy Tim because he had three TVs set up, you know, a 65-inch, a 55-inch, another 55-inch. So we had YouTube TV, multi-stream going. We had every game you could possibly want to watch and just a lot of fun leading up to the game. We had all the Bojangles you could eat had all the Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets you can eat. So we had a, a lot of fried food there. So just a lot of fun. Um, you know, just walking into the stadium around 7 PM, I was, I was actually shocked to see how many fans 
were just piling into the stadium. I haven't had a chance to watch the replay of the game yet um, on just you know what, what was shown on TV, but based on what I've read on the Big Spur, it seems that the environment showed really well on TV. Obviously, a lot of folks are talking about the new introduction for Cocky in 2001, and I'm going to have to tell you the honest truth. It's going to take some getting used to on my end. Um, I'm 34 years old, so for as long as I've been alive, it's been cocky at midfield coming out, you know, with the the curtains at 2001 and, you know, cocky magically popping up. But I still thought that it, it was fun and different. And, you know, most, most folks around me in the stadium at least felt like it wasn't horrible. For those of you that missed it, Cocky now comes out onto the field on like kind of like a train cockaboose type deal. Um, it's just a motorized train that has a cockaboose on it. Um, I think he came out around seven minutes before kickoff. The train is driven by a cheerleader, and Cocky waves to the fans until they get around midfield, and he's just you know waving, flapping his beak, all that all that kind of stuff. And Cocky then you know jumps off the train. And he runs into the Gamecocks locker room tunnel. Then 2001 starts and the traditional 2001 introduction begins. And at its crescendo, Cocky magically pops out of the top of the train as he would have in past years in like the little curtain box. So all in all, it wasn't amazing, but it wasn't terrible or really embarrassing in my mind. I've seen a lot of people talk about how oh my gosh, that's the corniest thing in the world. But at the end of the day, I'm not saying that, you know, cocky at the 50-yard line and the curtain box got stale. But, you know, it, it's just something different. And I think that, you know, especially young children, um, you know, I'm not going to say high school kids. They might think it's kind of corny and dorky. But at least young children are going to get excited about it. And I'm also going to tell you that, I was told after the game that the train will evidently be able to do more things than it did in the future. Um, I know that the the extra stuff the train can do was kind of damaging the field during rehearsals, so that was that was kind of nixed before the game. But I think it's a lot of fun. I think they got to work the kinks out of it. Um, I didn't have a problem with the opening. I think that. You know, if we could have cocky, you know, parachuting into the stadium like some people talked about, that'd be a heck of a lot of fun. I don't know about the liability there. You know, maybe zip line into the field. I, I saw somebody on the Big Spur say that cocky should beat up a, a fellow a fellow chicken at midfield. I don't know about all that, but I think that once they work the kinks out of it, it's going to be really cool. I think that it's a, a new tradition in South Carolina, and, you know, the more traditions that South Carolina can have, the better and you know it didn't take anything away from from 2001 I think that 2001 was probably the loudest of her 2001 and you know especially since you know like the Tennessee game from last year but you know for an FCS opponent to be able to have that environment was pretty awesome I mean I had goosebumps during 2001 and I, w- I was not expecting that so Williams Bryce was very loud. I thought the students really were in into the game from kickoff throughout the end of it. You know, traditionally students kind of leave the game whether the Gamecocks are winning or losing sometime in the halftime, third quarter, fourth quarter to go back to their tailgates and and do whatever they do at tailgates. But 
I'm just going to let you know. I mean, it was a, it was a lot of fun. The students were in there for a long time and the entire stadium, there, there weren't that many empty seats. And I was really surprised by that. Um, I will tell you that, you know, the first play of the game, I'm pretty sure it was either first or second play. The offensive line had a, a penalty on them. And I, I think it was an illegal motion or false start. And, and, the team definitely heard the boos. There were some boos that were raining down on them for, you know, after what everybody saw in North Carolina for the offensive line to to not be prepared to make a mistake like that on the first snap of the game. Maybe they were just juiced up. Maybe they were excited. I can tell you that it was a really exciting environment at williams Bryce before kickoff. But, you know, there were some boos there, and I thought, I thought honestly, it was warranted, and I thought that it needed to be heard. And I think that it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game on what Gamecock fans are willing to accept and not accept. Um, a little bit of a game recap here. I'm, I'm, I don't know if everybody was able to watch the game. Obviously, there was a lot of issues with Spectrum and Disney and ESPN and a lot of people switching over to YouTube TV. But the Gamecock started a little slow out of the gate. And it was pretty clear to me that Dowell Loggins was trying to Maintain some, maintain some balance to the offense, maybe give his offensive line and running backs a chance to get a little more confidence and get things rolling against a team that, that should have been overmatched in Furman. I think the Gamecocks did some nice things on the opening drive and really expected them expected the Gamecocks to try and get the ground game going and force Furman to defend sideline to sideline. The drive ended, the first drive for the game, because I should say, ended with um, a missed field goal. Now, I, like I said, I haven't watched the replay. I had a couple of drinks in me in the start of the game, but I, I'm pretty sure that Mitch Jeter missed his 50-yard field goal off the goal post. So first miss of his career, maybe it's good to, to get that out of his system in a game that you know the Gamecocks did win. But looking back on it, I get going for a field goal to get points on the opening drive. You know, get points on the board, but in hindsight, it's twenty twenty. I talk about that all the time. We can always play armchair armchair quarterback. We can always just play. You know, you should have done this, but if it was me, I would have tried to get the first down in that situation. Try and keep the offense on the field. Um, try and get the fourth down. Maybe jitters or you know, bad juju off of the Gamecocks after that fourth down drop against North Carolina. That kind of changed the game in Charlotte. But either way, it ended in zero points for the Gamecocks. And then Furman, Furman actually got on the board first. They had a 51-yard reception on their first possession to get them to the Gamecocks' three-yard line. And they eventually pushed it across the goal line on fourth down. I thought the Gamecock defense outside of, you know, they had a, I'm going off memory, it was like a, 10- or 15-yard rush by the quarterback to get a first down on the first play of the game. Then they had that 51-yarder that set them up. I think it was inside the Gamecocks 5. And I thought the defense held up pretty strong for three plays, but it's just really hard to stop an offense from getting in when they have four plays to do it from the three. So, Firmer was up 7-0. Gamecocks answered with a touchdown of their own. It was a 7-play 72-yard drive. It only took two minutes and 21 seconds off the game clock. Um, so the Gamecocks got it back to 7-7. Seven to seven. Uh, Spencer, and we'll talk about Spencer a lot on this particular show, but 
on that particular drive, the first Gamecock scoring drive, Spencer went four for four on that drive with 61 yards passing. DeCarrion got his second rushing touchdown of the season. He punched it in from the three-yard line, tied the game up. After that, Furman and South Carolina kind of traded punts on the next two possessions. And then Furman scored again. And inside the stadium, I'm not going to lie, it kind of felt felt a little scary. It felt a little weird because I think everyone kind of had, I'll say, post-traumatic stress from the North Carolina game. North Carolina didn't punt. North Carolina kind of did what they wanted to do against the Gamecocks. And, you know, for Furman to have, you know, a 10-play, 75-yard drive, um, three minutes and 31-second touchdown drive, um, or no, I'm sorry, maybe it was more than that, but it was pretty methodical. Um, So Gamecocks down 14-7. And like I said earlier, Spencer was the story of the day. Um, through 35 minutes of the game, I don't think there was a better quarterback playing against the level of competition that Spencer played against in, in the world. Um, he scored, he led another touchdown drive. The game, Gamecocks, um, tied the score at 14, 14, um, looking at the numbers here, um, Spencer went four for four for 51 yards and he, he had a rushing touchdown from, from the Gamecocks or from the Furman one yard line, got in there, tied the game at 14, 14. Uh, two punts for Furman and one for the Gamecocks gave the Gamecocks the ball back with four minutes and 31 seconds left in the first half. And the Gamecocks truly came alive here. They scored two touchdowns in the final four and a half minutes of the first half. It was nice to see Eddie Lewis. He got his first two catches as a Gamecock. And um, Luke Doty also got his first down, his first touchdown catch as a Gamecock on a 36-yarder where he kind of broke free across the middle of the field and Spencer found him. And just a great moment in the stadium. Um, it was one of those moments where the Gamecocks, it felt like the entire fan base, the entire team, everybody in the stadium, everybody across South Carolina and you know wherever Gamecocks are throughout the world, just needed that kind of feel-good moment. I don't know why, but the Gamecocks decided to go for two after that Luke Doty touchdown. Maybe it was just a little bit of emotion, a little bit of excitement, but it didn't work, and... You know, looking back, you know, there's not a lot of not a lot of times that I actually take a shot at Pete Limbo or Shane Beamer on special teams, but didn't really understand that one. Um, I guess they kind of felt like they had Furman where they wanted them, and that definitely played out throughout the course of the game. But I'm just a little shocked they just didn't take the free point there. But the last touchdown of the first half happened with 23 seconds left in the in the first half. The Gamecocks got the ball. Um, first and 10, you know, in the stadium, we really weren't sure if the Gamecocks were going to take a knee. You know, Furman gets the ball to start the second half. Um, in Shane's post-game press conference, he kind of said, well, can we get in field goal range? Can we put some more points on the board? Let's take a shot. And the Gamecocks did take a shot. Um, it was a 53-yard pass to Xavier Leggett. Xavier did his best Alshon Jeffrey impression, um, kind of, subtly made himself open, um, kind of turned the defensive back around a couple times and and just called a perfect pass from Spencer Rattler and got down to the Furman 22. Just a fantastic catch. It just shows how dialed in Spencer and Xavier are together right now. Uh, Furman had a, had a defensive pass interference. 
that got the Gamecocks the ball in the nine, not seven or nine yard line. I can't remember. But then um, Spencer connected with Omega, Omega Blake. Omega, Omega Blake. You know, when you do it, when you do a monologue, it gets kind of difficult to to try and talk fast. But yeah, Omega Blake had a beautiful. Um, it, it, I don't know if it was a front shoulder or a back shoulder pass, but Spencer put it exactly where it needed to be. Omega kind of turned around and he was in the end zone, and the Gamecocks took a 27-14 lead to halftime. Some general thoughts on the first half. Um, Gamecocks defense still got beat for some explosive plays from Furman, but I thought as the game went on, the defense really settled in and started to impose their will on Furman's offense. And Spencer Rattler, I'll say it again, he was he was just fantastic. I, I had a buddy that texted me at halftime, and you know he was getting a little frustrated with the play calling, and you know just dink and dunk, trying to run the ball. You know, let's get the ball downfield. And you know, I sent him a text, and I was like, "Well, Rattler's twenty three of twenty five for 255 yards passing with two touchdowns passing and a rushing touchdown. And, you know, I think that this statement that, you know, he gave back to me is pretty, pretty critical. You know, a lot of those passes that Spencer made, he was like, you know, Matt, me or you could make those passes. And while I don't agree with him necessarily there, just the fact that the offense was running so smoothly that you could complete 23 of 25 passes for 255 yards. I mean, it does kind of remind me of playing in the schoolyard when, you know, you just have a guy that is a pretty decent quarterback, you know, not going to get tackled. It's two hand touch, whatever. And you have a, you have guys that just get open and that's what happened in the first half. Um, just an unreal passing performance, regardless of competition in the first half, Xavier Leggett continued his torrid start to the season, six catches for 75 yards, Marion Brown added five catches for 41 yards. And I, I see a lot of this on the message board, and I kind of just want to talk about it a little bit here. Do I think DeCarion Joyner is, you know, first team All-SEC running back? No. Do I think he's sixth team All-SEC running back? No. But, you know, going back to the North Carolina game, there was not a lot of room for him to run. First time playing running back, but... You know, I, I went back and looked at the stats, and I was kind of shocked by this, but DeCarion had nine carries for 40 yards and a touchdown on the ground in the first half, and he had four catches for 53 yards in the first half. So DeCarion Joyner combined for 93 yards of offense and a touchdown in the first half, and I just don't think that should be forgotten. Um, I'm not saying DeCarion's a world beater. I'm not saying he's the best running back that the Gamecocks even have, because I don't know that. I think that in the second half, Mario Anderson had some flashes. I thought DJ Braswell had some flashes. I still think that Juju has a lot of potential and a lot of opportunity to do big things for the Gamecocks. But let's not sneeze on to carry on in a game that was largely competitive for the first half outside the last four minutes and 30 seconds, you know, getting 93 total yards of offense. So, I don't know where the Gamecocks are going to go going forward. We'll probably talk about that on Thursday once I get a little bit more information from practice and you know what the game plan might be for Georgia. But hats off to Joyner, 93 yards of offense in the first half. I just think that's a that's a big deal. So in the second half, the Gamecock offense you know, really just same way I talked about the defense earlier. The offense just imposed their will on Furman. 
Spencer was pulled midway through the third quarter after his third touchdown pass of the game, which was a 42-yarder to his favorite target, Xavier Leggett. Spencer finished the game 25 of 27 for 345 yards, averaging 12.8 yards per pass attempt. And look, save Furman, whatever, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but 25 of 27 for 345 yards, passing three passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown, that's an elite, elite game. And it, it, it's why that's it's why Spencer got a game ball. So happy for Spencer. He's just having a magical start of the year. I hope that the rest of the offensive line can get better and give him an opportunity to have that truly special season. And that that's not just statistically speaking, but just a, a winning season and something to send him off on his way to the NFL with a lot of love for South Carolina. And he does love South Carolina. But the story of the second half, the story of the second half belonged to Lenore Sellers. Um, Lenore Sellers, near and dear to my heart. Um, I went to South Florence, class of 2006. Obviously, Lenore's is class of 2003 from South Florence. Um, Sellers entered the game, and it was kind of a you-have-to-be-there kind of moment. But, you know, Luke Doty came in, and, you know, Luke Luke came in. He already had a touchdown catch, but he got hit in the backfield on his you know long pass attempt that kind of went to the ground. Not on Luke at all, but when Lenore Sellers came into the game, you could just feel that excitement level in the crowd. And there was probably still you know sixty sixty five thousand people left in the game when um, when Lenore's came in. But Lenore's came in the game promptly, completed his first pass. Um, second pass, he dropped back, and you guys have probably all seen the clip. If you haven't, you need to go back and watch it. But when when Lenores came in the game, the coaches said on that particular play, just look at the left side of the field. You know, don't do anything crazy. You've been playing this game your entire life. Just have fun, but you know, just take it take it easy. And Lenores looked to his left, probably went through two or three progressions, kind of bounced out to his right, um, got got outside the pocket had a lot of green in front of him. He could have easily run for 20 or 30 yards if he wanted to. But he saw Tyshawn Russell, you know, running running down the right sideline, the Furman sideline bench, and he cocked back from the from the Gamecock 45 and completed what looked to be 60, 65-yard pass in the air. It went for 50 yards in the official scorebook, but – just dropped an absolute dime to um, Tyshawn Russell in the end zone. And when I say the stadium erupted, I mean it. It was just really fun to be there. And, you know, this is the kind of thing I tell folks all the time. It's always fun to go to the big SEC games, you know, an SEC game in general. But, like, Saturday night was just a fun, fun environment for a lot of reasons. But, um, Sellers followed up that um, touchdown pass to to Tyshawn Tyshawn Russell with another touchdown pass to Nicholas Harbor, and you know you kind of think about the dynamic duo that Lenore Sellers and Nicholas Harbor can be, and it's really excited to see. And you know I think the stadium erupted just as much for a Sellers to Harbor connection as they did on the initial Sellers um, touchdown pass, but Lenore's finished four for four passing. 
86 yards and two touchdowns. He also had six yards on two carries rushing. And you guys don't need me to say this, but to me, Sellers just looks different out there. I've said it all offseason, and I've been trying not to be too over the top with it, but it's hard not to be when you've heard everything coming from practice, what you saw in the spring game, what you saw with your eyes against Furman. And, and look, is Furman Alabama? No. Are they LSU? No. But to see a, a true freshman come in in his first collegiate action in a real game, you know, a true freshman, four for four, 86 yards, and two touchdowns. I just, I just believe if he gets enough weapons, gets enough offensive line help around him, that the future is really bright for the Gamecocks. I think that he can do special things for the Gamecocks. And... It's apparent that he has all the skills of a five-star high school quarterback recruit. Um, he was definitely underranked. I know a couple sites got him to four stars, maybe even top 100 in the company, but in the country. But most of the recruiting companies kind of missed the ball on him, and I think it's because South Carolina is not scouted like other states throughout the United States. But the Gamecocks are extremely fortunate to have Lenore Sellers. I'll just say that. The quarterback room has never looked better at South Carolina, and Lenore Sellers is a big part of that. I'm going to go on a little tangent here because I, I just I've seen Lenore Sellers play for a long time, but I had the pleasure to watch him play in high school. Um, he's a fellow South Lawrence alum. I went to a couple of games his senior year. I'll be honest, I didn't believe the hype. You know, his freshman sophomore year, um, junior year he got hurt, but. The first time I saw Lenore Sellers play, I texted JC and said, you, the Gamecocks have got to find a way to land him. Um, at that time, he was still committed to Syracuse. But everything that he did on Saturday night is what he did in high school. The game just seemed slower to him. And I don't know if I'm I, – like I say, I try not to be over the top. But – he looked the same against Furman that he looked against playing against West Florence last year in the state playoffs to go to the state championship game. The same way he looked against Northwestern in the state championship last year. Um, his high school talent has shown through in a big way. It's, it's crazy to say this after the night that Spencer had, but Lenore Sellers truly stole the show on a week when Spencer Rattler won SEC's Offensive Player of the Week. So just let that sink in for a little bit. Um, I don't. I'm not saying that we're going to see Lenore Sellers play against Georgia. I don't know if he plays against Mississippi State, and I, I don't think it's lightning in a bottle. But lightning in a bottle was captured um, Saturday night, and it was just a magnificent performance from Spencer and Lenoris to combine for what is that? 29 of 33 for over 400 yards. Just excited about the. I'm excited about the here and now for South Carolina, but I'm also excited about the future. So overall takes from the Furman game, as I said on Thursday, I expected the Gamecocks to win this game big, and they did. Outside of some miscues from backups in the second half and the beginning of the game, I thought South Carolina was locked in from the second quarter, um, second quarter on, in all phases of the game. It was a get-right game before traveling to Athens to take on the number-one-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. 
But it's a game that the Gamecocks desperately needed. And it's not just the final score here, but the way the team responded and how they gelled on the sideline and the general excitement that you saw around the team. You know, first quarter or whatever, but second, third, fourth quarter, you could just see a change in the team. And I don't know how it's going to transfer to Georgia. I, I, I'm doing my best not to, not to even think about Georgia right now. I kind of want to celebrate the moment of a team win that you could tell was a feel-good game for the entire team. And Shane preaches all the time. I think that the entire Gamecock team and fan base and williams Bryce around the country definitely found some joy on Saturday night. So on that note, I encourage, I encourage all the fans to come out in full force in a few weeks. Um, Gamecocks are going to play Mississippi, Mississippi State under the lights of Williams-Brice Stadium in a few weeks. It's really awesome that the Gamecocks were able to get a nighttime kickoff because whatever happened against Georgia, the Gamecocks still have a ton to play for for the rest of the year. And, you know, I was hearing rumors of a 12 o'clock noon kickoff against Mississippi State. Um, obviously, it's it's tough to get that, like, 3.30 slot because that's CBS. And Mississippi State, South Carolina is not going to be the biggest game of the week. But the more games that South Carolina can get at night in Williams-Brice Stadium – I think that, that that stadium is going to be electric. It's it's really difficult to get the students out there for a 12 o'clock kickoff. And, heck, sometimes the 3.30 or 4 o'clock kickoff. But the students will be out there in full force. I hope all of Gamecock Nation is there as well. Um, it should be a great game. And, you know, seeing what happened against North Carolina, regardless of what happens in Athens. And, look, you know, crazier things have happened in Athens. Gamecocks have won games that they had no business winning in Athens. They've had wins against Georgia at home that they had no business winning. And we'll talk about Georgia on Thursday, but excited that Mississippi State's a night game. And let's just not be prisoners of the moment. Um, Enjoy the Furman game, but understand that when Mississippi State comes to South Carolina, even if the Gamecocks are one and two, there's still New Year's Day bowls that are available to the Gamecocks. And, you know, it it only gets easier from Georgia. I'll put it that way. So, some notes from the first two weeks of the season, um, and and this this note actually kind of goes back a little bit, um, dating back to the Tennessee game last year. I just want to tell you what Spencer Rattler is averaging at quarterback. So we're talking about five games from Tennessee. Spencer's averaging three hundred and forty eight point four passing yards per game with a 73.9% completion rate. He's averaging 9.2 passing yards per pass attempt. Not completion, pass attempt. So, just to get granular there, every time Spencer throws a pass, it's essentially a first down. He has 13 passing touchdowns versus three interceptions. 6.9% of his passes end up in a touchdown. And 1.5% of his passes end up in interception. Those are elite, elite numbers. To put it in perspective, over a 13-game season using that five-game sample size, and look, you know, we can go back, we can do this for forever, but just using what I've seen from Spencer since the Gamecock offense kind of turned things around last year, 13-game season, he's on pace to throw for 4,529 passing yards, 33.8 33.8 touchdowns and 7.8 interceptions. 
And just to talk about how great those numbers are and why I just, I really pray that all Gamecocks are appreciating what they're seeing from Spencer right now. If you took, you know, all those numbers I just talked about and you took it over a 13-game season, Spencer would have, like I said, whatever was like 4,500 yards passing. That would beat Dylan Thompson's school record for a single season in passing yards by almost 1,000 yards in a season. That would beat Steve Tannehill's school record season single passing touchdown record by four or five touchdowns. So, I don't know if Spencer is going to keep it up. Uh, Right now, I wouldn't bet against him. He seems completely locked in. Dowell Loggins and him are on the exact same page. Um, Right now, Spencer leads the SEC quarterbacks in passing yards per game over two games by... Um, he, he's averaging 349 yards per game. Only Jaden Daniels of LSU and Jackson Dart from Ole Miss are the SEC quarterbacks averaging over 300 yards per game. Nationally, Spencer is third in the country in yards per game, passing, trailing only Shador Sanders of Colorado and Michael Penix Jr. of Washington. So... I say all that to say Spencer's doing this with a ragtag offensive line and no running game. And if the Gamecocks can figure out the offensive line, if the Gamecocks can figure out the running game, you know, do things to create to create running like plays. Um, Dowell Logan said the other day that he views, you know, reverses. He views, you know, quick passes out of the sideline. Um, pop passes, that sort of thing, as running plays, you know, close to the line of scrimmage. So I still have faith that Gamecocks are going to figure this out on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that Furman was a good get-right game. Um, Xavier Leggett leads the SEC in receiving yards with 296 yards over two games. And he currently ranks fourth in the country overall with receiving yards. And he's only played two games. Um talking about the Georgia game just for a bit um, what I've heard right now and I'll be sure to to talk about this more if I find out more but I wouldn't expect to see massive changes in the offensive line running back wide receiver starters I think that the coaches are going to go with what the preseason data gave them and get through this game but after the Georgia game I think everything's on the table I think you might see some changes but this week just get ready for the status quo if anything changes between now and Thursday, I'll, you know, I'll let you know. Um, if there are any changes going forward, I think that the the people you can kind of highlight are um, Big Tree at, at one of the offensive tackle positions and uh, Trevon Bow um, at the offensive guard. Maybe they'll play some more. But you just don't want to put true freshmen in against Georgia like that. But after Georgia... I'm not saying every game is truly winnable. Like the Gamecocks aren't going to be favored in every game, but I don't think you're going to see the 27 and a half point spread that you see against Georgia this upcoming week. And you know, after Georgia, if every game is on the table again, you really don't want to kill a young kid's confidence. Um, that goes for Pup Howard. It goes for some of the guys that are you know playing the defensive secondary. But we'll we'll talk about the defensive secondary, I guess, really quick. As far as injuries go. Shane Beamer said Sunday night that offensive guard Marky Anderson, he would call very probable to be back this week. Um, defensive end 
Jacious Gear is probable for this week's game against Georgia. As far as guys that were injured during the game against Furman or before the Furman game, he said that all of them should be labeled as questionable. Um, and those guys, you know, Amarion Brown, Keenan Nelson Jr., Drew Tuazama, they all got injured during the Furman game, so questionable there. Um, other guys like safety Nick Imanwara, defensive back David Spalding, they were questionable going into the Furman game. They're probably still considered questionable. I know that Nick is trying to trying his best to get back on the field, but I would I'd probably still expect Jalen Kilgore to start in his place this week. I and everyone wants to ask about Juice Wells. Um, I don't really have anything to tell you about Juice Wells. I know that he tried to play in the North Carolina game, ended up you know taking himself out for the game, and not uh, the medical staff. And he decided it was best that he should be taken out. Um, and he's, he played 30 snaps against Furman. He's not listed on the injury report. Your guess is as good as mine right now when it comes to Juice. I, I, I definitely think he'll be full strength at some point this season. But um, And who knows? You know, I've thought about this. Um, Gamecocks would obviously love to have him against North Carolina. He got rolled out pretty quickly. Um, played 30 snaps against Furman. Maybe Shane's playing a, a huge game of chess and, you know, maybe letting Georgia think that Juice is 50%, 60%, 70%, 80%, and maybe the plan is to unleash Juice and Xavier and and Eddie Lewis and all those guys in, in Athens. I don't know. Um, but I am excited to see to see what will happen. Um, we'll talk a lot about the Georgia game next week. We'll talk a little bit about recruits. I'm still waiting to hear um, how the recruiting weekend went. Um, off the cuff, I mean, I haven't heard anything monumental, um, but we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm waiting to get some feedback there, and that's the beautiful thing about this show. We have two episodes a week, so I'll, I'll, I'll report back to you guys on Thursday. Um, again, um, so those of you that might be first-time listeners, maybe just getting back into the swing of things with, with football coming back, um, again, my name is Matt Anderson. You can reach me on latenightgamecockshow at gmail.com. Um, if you're not on the Big Spur, I encourage you to get on the Big Spur. Um, ben Briner had a really, really good breakdown of um, the South Carolina Furman game, looking at both the offense and the defense. Um, cutting up plays so you can kind of see what what was going on and what worked, what didn't work. Um, ben Briner, in that article, I don't think it's enough love. It's really a labor of love for him to do it, and it really breaks things down in a way that you don't see on the Big Spur very often. Um, and just because, you know, he breaks it out with infographics and he breaks it out with video clips and, a lot of other things on the Big Spur are words, but you get that once a week. Well, twice a week because you get the, the week preview and then you get the, the game recap. So can't say enough about that. Um, Tony Morell, JC, JC Sherbert, John Whittle, Alex Jones, Hal McGranahan, they are definitely bringing you all the Gamecock info you could ever hope for. Um, literally, I don't know how these guys pump out articles at the volume they do, but if you're not on the Big Spur yet, make sure you go um, grab a membership. You know, go ahead and pay for the year. You'll get a discount. You'll have a good time on the board, and it's a great time because you'll get through the college football season and you'll go through the recruiting recruiting season as well. Um, give a shout out to um, Carolina Rise NIL Collective. 
Um, if you can give 1801 a month, it really does go a long way. The way that Carolina Rise is going to be successful is if we can get a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of Gamecock. And I say we. I'm not involved with Carolina Rise, but I say it from a fan perspective. If the Gamecocks can get a bunch, a bunch of fans donating small amounts of money on a regular basis, it's not going to take long before the Gamecocks have a robust NIL collective, which allows the Gamecocks to continue their work with Park Avenue, continue their work with getting guys that come to campus, you know, amazing NIL opportunities where they can profit on their name, image, and likeness. Um, I th- I, until it's gone, I think that's just what Gamecock fans need to do. And for the first time that I can remember, an average fan has the ability to help the Gamecocks do big things on the field. So, um, bigspur.com, carolinarise.com. Go check it out. If you have any questions, get back at me. I'm happy to answer questions about the site or, you know, the collective. I'll probably just poke, poke you in or point you in JC's direction. But, um, excited for Gamecocks. I'm excited for the get right game against Furman. Let's see if we can shock the world against Georgia. And again, you can reach me at, um, late night Gamecock show at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on the Big Spur message boards under the username of Matt Anderson. And um, on the Big Spur, I talked about it recently, but we're looking at having a um, a Florence Gamecock get together for all the Big Spur folks that are that are in Florence for a Gamecock road game coming up. And I don't know where we're going to do it. Maybe maybe Apple Annie's, maybe Southern Hops, maybe Bird's Nest, wherever. But um, if you're interested in the Gamecock get together in Florence, let me know. Everybody is welcome to come. More Gamecocks, the better. But that's all I got for tonight. I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate you all giving me the most valuable thing you have, which is your time. And really excited for Thursday and then excited for Monday of next week when we'll go live on YouTube. So I hope everybody has a great rest of the week, and we will talk on Thursday.